Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another rainy and cold day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Gavin Cleary, Chief Executive of Locate in Kent. Locate in Kent is an organization which offers free confidential support to businesses looking to expand or relocate to Kent. Gavin, hello. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Leader for me is someone who can empower the people that work with him or her, of course. Um, someone who has the decisiveness to uh, come up with a well thought through data driven strategy and then the ability to then uh, work closely with with a core team of probably smarter individuals to deliver that strategy. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I would say I'm a combination of, I think I'm quite warm. I think I'm quite approachable. Um, I probably am a bit too busy personally, um, which is uh, sometimes rubs off on my team, but hopefully creates a, a high energy, motivated uh, and kind of fun environment for, for my staff. Let's take a little trip back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Were there any particular influences on you, whether it be a set of circumstances or um, an individual who shaped the way that you lead today? Yes, I think so. Um, so I actually started my career as an engineer. Uh, I was sponsored by Ford Motor Company through university. Um, I, I worked for Ford for a year before I started university. And during that year, uh, I met a number of senior leaders in, in Ford who, who definitely rubbed off on me. Um, part, partly good, partly bad. And, and the, the, the bad was perhaps I met some senior engineers who I didn't really see myself as that person. However, mm-hmm. my last of my three-month placements was with in, in the marketing part of Ford Motor Company and actually the bit where they launched uh, they launch cars, they do motor shows. And, I, and I, I had a really inspirational leader there, a guy called Dave Cussell, who uh, inadvertently put me off engineering and realized that I was more uh, attuned to a career in, in more of a sales and marketing type function. And do you pass on Dave's advice uh, to the young people who work for you today? Uh, it's 25 years ago, so I probably not. Um, <laughs> but yes. Uh, I think I do probably, uh, and I think it, it is. It really is a work hard but work smart culture. Um, that's that's what I, I I would like to engender into my organisation. And of course, one of the big parts about being a leader is, of course, leading people. And uh, people are not perfect creatures. Uh, they're not infallible. They have their bad days and they don't always get along. How do you handle conflict within the workplace? Oh, good question. Um, so I think I've had uh, experience in different environments. So I, I've had two startups myself. Um, I've been middle management. Uh, I've been senior management as, as well as being a CEO. I think one of the hardest challenges 
say in my, in my current job, I came into an environment where I joined as CEO two years ago. I took over from someone who'd been here for more than 20 years and I inherited a team effectively. So I think one of the biggest challenges, and um, you, you mentioned conflict, is when you haven't hired your team to get the, to first of all, to get their trust in your abilities um, and your management style, but also to inject new ideas and new blood and your own new hires and start to shape a, a team that's based on the existing staff as well as the new people who bring fresh ideas. So, so that unfortunately does create conflict. There's friction there, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. ultimately it, I think as an organization, if you set clear goals and clear objectives, and everyone is leaning in the same direction, then you can refer back to that framework uh, to to help you address conflict. However, as you say, people are not perfect. People are different. People have off days. But I think it's also reflecting the fact that as a leader, you're also human and you also have some of those same off days and good days. Now, of course, another part of leading people is uh, bringing them along uh, the journey with you. do you have any particular mentorship programs or do you just kind of ad hoc take people on your wing uh, at Locate in Kent? So I, I encourage uh, all of my staff to seek external mentors. Um, I have very, I've been lucky to have benefited from a number of mentors throughout my career, um, often in unrelated fields. Uh, which I find extremely useful. I'm very lucky. I have a chairman um, who who I'm able to use. Uh, uh, sorry, maybe not use in case you listen to this, but I'm able to refer to and defer to. And he's a very senior person who previously employed thousands of people, and he's seen a lot of the uh, the challenges that I face. But as I say, I actively encourage my staff to seek external mentors. What's your advice uh, to someone if they were to walk into work, into a workplace on their first day? Ask questions. Um, don't be afraid to challenge. Uh, do listen. Um, I don't particularly like repeating myself, um, but that doesn't mean you should, again, be scared to ask questions. But enjoy your time there, engage with my very experienced team, try and learn from some of their experience, and but don't make it one way. Uh, share what you've done. Um, just as an example, we have a, a an 18-year-old apprentice who's working with us at the moment who actually is bringing some incredible energy into the business and, and hopefully also learning a lot himself. Now, changing tack only slightly, if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? So the greatest leader, living or dead. I know it's a tricky one. Uh, Gandhi. I know that's a cliche, mm-hmm. but um, someone well, who the reason why things are cliches are because they tend to be true. Um, <laughs> and uh, what's the reason behind uh, Gandhi? I think someone who, through the power of quiet persuasion, influence, commitment, diligence. Um, was able to affect a change that affected hundreds of millions of people uh, and also showed incredible bravery and ability to to absorb everything that was thrown at him but still come out a leader and also didn't have an ego, I don't think, where at, when India got its independence, he didn't need to be the leader. Um, he was the, 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 the spiritual guide and the, um, the, the father figure Mahatma Gandhi for India. 
And do you feel that you can apply uh, the lessons learned from Gandhi uh, in the workplace? I wish I had a little bit of his patience. <laughs> Um, now, unfortunately, our time together is uh, running rather short. Uh, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Locate in Kent? Well, as we enter into the Brexit transition period, that directly impacts what we do here as an inward investment agency. Um, so that, that will continue to be something that that, that will um, tax the minds of my team. So we're in constant contact with international investors across Europe, across um, the, the United States, across Asia. So it is communicating to those uh, inward investors that the UK, and particularly Kent, of course, it remains an attractive place to invest uh, and to grow your business. And just for our listeners' benefit, uh, in just a couple of sentences, why Kent? Connectivity, number one. So we are, um, I'm sitting here in Ashford, which is 60 miles, but only 31 minutes from central London. We have an amazing talent base. So a lot of, so we have great people who work here in Kent, but also we have an incredible number of people who commute into London. And actually that's a latent talent pool for any business that wants to grow here to attract those people. It's a beautiful place. So we are still the Garden of England, although I would say we're the 21st century Garden of England. But it, it is a beautiful place to, to, to work, to live. Uh, we have incredible food and drink. Um, and it is a very business-friendly environment. So there are support organizations like myself who will provide soft landing services to any business that wants to expand here in Kent. Well, Gavin, absolutely best of luck uh, in the coming transition period. And I'm sure that businesses will continue to flock uh, to Kent for the foreseeable future. Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much hope you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Gavin, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. That was Gavin Cleary, Chief Executive of Locate in Kent. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership 
it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most 
powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at the time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out, 
So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, 
Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. 
I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on all together all those years later it didn't just finish after 66 it, that reunion that camaraderie that team spirit mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long 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 time and I wouldn't and- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorise those I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, 
on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.